And I'd be grateful if you would turn with me to uh, Acts chapter 2. I've got two readings this morning, so Acts chapter 2. In your service sheet, the second one is 1 John 1, 1, uh, 1, 1, 1 to 4. Um, But I'm going to change that to Philippians chapter 1, and we'll read a few verses from there instead. Uh, Though I will refer to the 1 John passage, but uh, Acts chapter 2, just read from verse 42. So remember, Peter has just been preaching, and uh, many have been uh, uh, baptized, uh, come to repentance and faith. Verse 42 says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple, together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Then turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. I want to read from verse 3. And Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership or fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers, sharers, fellowship sharers, with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your words. Uh, as we come to study it again, we pray that you'd help us to understand it and believe it and to apply it, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Excuse me, I just lost my place. <laughs> so once a month, as a church, uh, we, we share the Lord's Supper. We did it last week. And... Um, As part of the supper, uh, we're in the habit of uh, saying together the Apostles' Creed. And uh, that's an ancient Christian document that parts of which may well reach back into the first century, uh, the Apostles' Creed. And in the the third paragraph, 
um, there is a, a statement that says, I believe in the communion of saints. I believe in the communion of saints. Or to put it another way, I believe in the fellowship of Christian believers. I believe in the fellowship of Christian believers. And notice what, it is, what that says. It's, it's not saying fellowship is something to be aspired to. It is saying, I believe in it. I believe in it. I believe with all my heart. The fellowship of the saints matters. And therefore, we're saying, I am committed to it. If you stand and say that with us every month, then you're saying, I am committed to the fellowship of believers. Now, because it is in the Apostles' Creed, we can say this, that it is basic Christianity. It's Christianity 101. It's as, as basic to the Christian life as believing in Jesus Christ, God's Son, His only Son, our Lord. Does that shock you? But if you don't believe in the communion of the saints, and that is not evident and seen in the life of a Christian, then we can say with certainty there is no Christian faith in that person. Something has gone wrong. Something is not right. And you know that that something is not right at the fundamental level. When someone claims to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, yet seems to have no love of fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. And the reason for that is a pretty simple one. And it's seen here in this this verse uh, in Acts 2.42, which, let me remind you, says this, and they devoted themselves, the These new converts to Christianity, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Remember, Paul, uh, Peter has been preaching the gospel. He has uh, done so with such compelling power, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that all the crowd can think of to react to what uh, Peter has been saying is, is to say, brothers, what must, what must we do to be saved? What must we do to be saved? And the people repent and believe, are baptized, and that's the answer. And, but they're never the same again. They are a changed people. They have become new people. And this is what happens, as we, we noted last week, that under the power of the Holy Spirit, taking the word of God and applying it to the human heart, people are never the same again. And they become devoted, devoted disciples. And that means being devoted to a number of particular things. Last week we looked at 
how they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. And how in an amazing way, in a special way, God promises to be amongst his people as they gather in a meeting like this. And the word of God is preached that something supernatural is happening that not only is some poor sinner at the front preaching, but actually Christ is preaching. Christ promises to use those jars of clay to speak the treasures of the gospel to men and women. And so it's a special thing to assemble together like this. They weren't, doing a, they weren't having a reading group. They weren't having a little Bible study conversation. They were listening to the preaching of God's word. And God was present amongst them. So they became devoted to the apostles' teaching. But notice also they became devoted to fellowship. To fellowship. So four things I want to look at this morning. And it's going to be a bit complicated. Uh, so, firstly, two dimensions of fellowship. Point number one. Point number two, three pictures of fellowship. Three pictures of fellowship. Point number three, three aspects of fellowship. Are you with me? <laughs> and then finally, application to fellowship. What does that mean for us? So let's think, first of all, two dimensions of, of fellowship. There are, there are two axes. I'm a, I like mathematics. And I think of dimensions up, up and down and back and side, side to side. There are two axes for fellowship. Uh, the first, of course, is in an upward direction. And John, uh, John the Apostle writes to his readers uh, in John chapter, uh, 1 John 1, verse 3. And he says... Our fellowship, that's you and me, us, uh, us apostles, uh, you believers, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So that's verse number one, that's the first verse. There's an upward dimension to fellowship when you become a Christian, when you're joined to Christ, when you come to living faith, when Jesus comes into your heart, some people put it that way. Uh, There is... A fellowship established between you and God. At the end of every service, pretty much, uh, we, we say, uh, we, we hear the grace said to us. It's God's word to us. And uh, uh, God says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Uh, that fellowship with the Holy Spirit. So we have fellowship with the Father. Fellowship with the Son, fellowship with the Holy Spirit, if you become a Christian. All of that mediated through the incarnate Son of God, Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the mediator. And it's through Jesus we come so that we can enter into fellowship with all the persons of the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And that fellowship then is a a supernaturally wrought bond of love with the triune God through Jesus Christ. And that's, of course, the great benefit of salvation. We, we, we have this wonderful fellowship with God. An upward dimension. 
But fellowship is not just upwards, it's horizontal, it's outwards as well, uh, side to side. It's fellowship with all the other people who have known this bond of love with, with God. And John expresses this also in 1 John 1.3. Where he says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us. So there's this bond between you and us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we are bound together. And so you can see how this begins to to work out in the early church. uh, In Acts chapter 2. In very practical ways. Uh, Verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And you can sense the joy in all of this. Um, It's quite a picture. A wonderful picture. Of men and women, boys and girls, sharing their lives together. And sharing the stuff together. And sharing their resources together. In fellowship. Now, of course, this is not a, a recipe for some sort of hippie commune. Uh, none of us denies personal property and the responsibility we have for it. Uh, otherwise, there would be, be no commandment against stealing, would there? So, property matters, but people share it. People are, are generously giving and helping each other. And it's an amazing picture, isn't it? I've met people in Solihull. Um, We've done evangelistic work in Solihull. And I've met people who tell me they're Christian. And then they'll add something like, um, but you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And it's certainly true that, that simply going to church doesn't make you a Christian. I hope you understand that. It doesn't make you a Christian any more than Me putting a stethoscope around my neck makes me a doctor. There's there's more to it than that. So coming to church doesn't make you a Christian. But if you are a Christian, then going to church is the most natural thing in the world. Indeed, there's an impulse to be with brothers and sisters. And the sure sign that somebody has genuinely become a Christian is that there's a new love now for the church and for its people. And a willingness to get involved in the practical matters of life. Indeed, a sure sign that somebody is not a Christian is that they have no love for the people of God. No love uh, for the church. That they're detached, they're distant. They don't know anyone, they're probably absent. So what's your attitude to the church this morning? Do you love the people around you? Do you want to serve them and meet their needs if you can, if they have the needs? Do you want to do that? Do you want to be involved? And if so, what are you actually doing about it? So I'll leave that with that question. Let me, let me bed this in a bit more and come to the second point and give you three biblical pictures of organic unity in the fellowship of believers. They're all biblical. Uh, I'm sure there are more, actually, but I've just only got time for three. So let's picture number one. The vine. 
John chapter 15. The vine and the branches. And Jesus says, John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. And Jesus is, is showing the, uh, these disciples that were with him in the upper room that there is an organic connection between himself and them as believers, as disciples. And so what we see is there is, to put it another way, is that vertical relationship we were talking about earlier between believers and Christ. And the vine is helpful because it shows us how it is that the life of the vine, of Christ, uh, is communicated to us in that bond of fellowship. That as we are joined to him, in union with him, by faith, that life comes to us by his spirit. And the beautiful thing is, we begin to bear fruit. The fruits of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit begins to work character traits in our lives that are beautiful. If you've ever met somebody who's been a Christian all their life, and they're in their old age, uh, as I've met many, there is a beauty to people like that, men or women, who have walked with God and been bonded to Jesus Christ for decades. There is a beauty that comes about them. But that's, that's the picture of the vine. And if, of course, to be a disciple, uh, because a disciple is connected to Christ, he is connected to every other branch through Christ. So that picture of the vine is a picture of organic unity. Here's the second picture. Uh, the picture of a body. Uh, so 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, Paul is speaking to a church that's got all kinds of problems. Uh, and all kinds of problems with gifts and so on. And how do we use the gifts? And how do we... Uh, help each other to use the gifts for the good of the whole. And uh, he describes the church as a body. And the body is made up of parts, hands, feet, eyes, ears, uh, presentable parts and unpresentable parts. Uh, And of course the most important part of the body is the head. And Paul has earlier said in uh, 1 Corinthians 10, uh, 11, that Christ is head of the church. Paul identifies Christ as head of the church. But the rest of the body is not only connected to the head, but it's connected to each other. It's not like it's it's a body with a big head and disconnected strands only connected to Christ. They're all connected to each other, you see. Um, And so Paul says, there are many parts, but one body. And again, all the parts are connected. So... From that picture, it's not possible to be, disconne- uh, uh, to be an isolated Christian, to be disconnected from the rest of the church. Because if you're disconnected from the fellowship of the church, then by definition, you are disconnected from Christ. Do you see? It violates the whole picture of the body. To be disconnected from the church is to be disconnected from Christ. You know, I think that's why in the early church they made a big thing about the fact that uh, you know, outside of the church there is no salvation. Great statement of Cyprian in the third century. So here's the, that's, that's another picture of the body. Third picture. The picture of a temple. 
but this time made up of living stones. Not just inert rocks, but living stones. And that's a picture that's used by Peter in 1 Peter 2, and by Paul in 1 Corinthians 3 and Ephesians 2. And here is the idea of of Christ as being the foundation stone. So you lay the foundation, and if you don't lay a foundation to a building, you don't have a stable structure. So Christ is laid as the foundation, and then upon Christ is built the rest of the stones. And the people of God are the stones. And God places all the stones in the right places and connects them to each other so that you have a building that is constructed, not a random pile of rocks in a place scattered around, but we are positioned and depend upon the other stones according to uh, the gift of uh, Christ giving his gifts through his spirit. All of us built fundamentally on the foundation stone of Christ. So that picture of the temple, the living temple of God. So a vine, a body, a temple, all showing pictures of ways in which uh, Christians are connected to each other as they're connected to Christ. And in all of those pictures, of course, they all depend upon Christ himself for life, direction, and stability. Now, it's for this reason that, for example, John Stott, in his uh, commentary on Ephesians, describes the church as God's new society. God's new society. Because the church of Jesus Christ is quite a new thing. It's quite a different thing to any other society on earth. It's not like joining the dog walkers training club or something. (laughs) Dog training club. (laughs) Or, you know, some other club that you're involved in. You sign your name on a list and you pay your dues and you're on a list somewhere. It is totally alien to that. The church of Jesus Christ is quite different. It's a new community in the gospel, empowered by the Holy Spirit and bonded to each other by that same Holy Spirit. So when somebody is joined to Christ by grace, through faith, he or she is added, therefore, to the church. You see? See the picture? So three organic pictures of the church. Um, Biblical pictures of organic unity. But let me move on now to three aspects of fellowship. An aspect is just a way of looking at the same thing in different angles. So three aspects. So we're looking at the same thing in different ways. And uh, so here the Greek word for for fellowship is koinonia. Koinonia. Uh, I used to know somebody who who named his house koinonia, a Christian guy. Uh, He and his wife. You come to the front door and it says koinonia, fellowship. It's wonderful. Uh, picture. Uh, we're coming into fellowship in this house. But it's koinonia, it's, it's fellowship. But it's actually translated in three different ways. Uh, we've got some of them in Philippians chapter 1. And, uh, and all of those translations give us an idea uh, of different aspects of the same thing. So what are those three aspects? The first is sharing. Sharing together. And what is meant here is sharing in all the aspects of life together. This is what we see in Acts. Uh, We see 3,000 people converted to Christ and then sharing all things in common. There was 
genuine community. There was a sharing of material possessions. Yes, material possessions as the need arose. But but it is more than that. Indeed, it needs to be more than that. Because no one, what's true here is, no one shares their stuff unless they have a deeper reason, do they? And Paul uh, speaks of how the Philippians have shared in his troubles. So there was compassion. There was sympathy. There was fellow feeling for one another that led them to be willing to share what they had. You see, uh, if your heart is given over in sympathy to somebody, then your stuff kind of follows. So they had this sharing of compassion and sympathy uh, before they, uh, underneath all their sharing of their material possessions. So that, that love and compassion always leads to sharing. The second translation of koinonia is participation. Your participation, participation in the gospel. And that's the idea of doing things out of a common goal or purpose of getting involved. So, here's these Christians. They would get together, they would worship together, pray together, learn together, help together, and be full participants in God's new society. Full participants. And the third aspect is partnership. And uh, uh, Paul commends the Philippian Christians for their partnership. Why? Because, well, they sent money uh, to support other Christians in Jerusalem. They sent money to support Paul himself. They took an interest in the wider mission of the church. Uh, They sent gifts. They joined together in prayer for the gospel. Uh, They figured out how to support the work of their church and the work of the gospel beyond their church. Entered into partnership. Now, you see how involved all of this is. To be a Christian is not simply to give mental assent to a few things, but it's actually to get fully involved in the, with the whole of your life, to be devoted to fellowship. Nor is it simply experiencing that personal experience of personal faith. You know, some people think, well, it's all about me and Jesus. And uh, if, as long as I'm right with Jesus, then everything else doesn't matter. But what also happens when God is truly at work is you are ushered into a fellowship, uh, a body of people who have also got Christ as the center of their lives. Now, I know that there are situations that you can maybe think of where individuals come to Christ And there's no fellowship. I understand that, but that's not your situation, is it? So let's not try and make theoretical uh, or non-relevant counterexamples. For all of us here, we are a fellowship. And we are ushered in to this fellowship. This fellowship, you know, when you become a Christian, this is what happens to you. These people around you, they become like your family. They become your family. You see? You begin to work together. You begin to share, participate, partner together in the things that really matter for the gospel and the kingdom. And so if, 
Let me ask you this morning, does that describe you? If you call yourself a Christian today, does any of this describe you? What is your involvement in the church of Jesus Christ today? Let me be more practical and down to earth and speak to those of you who are members of this church. Are you sharing, participating, partnering to the best of your ability under God in this church? You see, if you're not, there is something deeply wrong. You know, it's quite possible that you're not a Christian at all. And I don't say that lightly. I, I take everybody in face value. We all profess our faith. And you've all given, if you're members, you've given credible profession of faith. But that's not, not infallible. You may not yet be born again and changed by the Spirit of God. Because as I've tried to show from the Bible... It is not possible to be a Christian and be disconnected from the church. So let me finish with a few words of application then. Firstly, let me tell you what what fellowship is not. It is not mere chumminess, uh, a mere social occasion. Uh, I remember when Susan and I were living in Derby and we were members of a church up there. And uh, a woman appeared in the church, and uh, she wanted to know. We got to know her and befriend her, and uh, she wanted to know what the church did. And so we explained all the services, and then we talked about the fellowship groups that the church, uh, the church had. And I remember this woman saying to me, oh, fellowship, you mean Christians getting together? As though that was all that fellowship was. And, and often, she, she hit on a bit of a nerve, actually, because for most Christians, that's all it was. A time for Christians to get together. But fellowship is not mere friendliness and chumminess. Good though those things are. It is deeper than that. It is sharing your life together. It is sharing your possessions. It is sharing compassion for one another. It is sharing even your sins together and praying over them. Fellowship. Real fellowship. Second thing to say is, it's possible for a church to look like it is having fellowship when it's not. Now, let me just give you an extreme example of that. So I, I think I remember visiting York Minster. Maybe York, maybe it's somewhere else. But just run with York for the moment. We went to York Minster, Susan and I. And uh, it was Sunday. Uh, we went to Evensong, which is the evening worship of the Anglican Church. And of course, this is very popular with tourists. Uh, they love to see uh, uh, Anglican worship. And, uh, you know, there's liturgy. Uh, the choir sings. There are candles. Uh, there are readings. Uh, and the whole thing, you know, the whole surroundings, it reeks of history and tradition and it's a kind of wonderful experience, you know, if, if you look at it that way. Uh, that's why tourists go to it. But it's not fellowship. I'm sorry to say. The, 
people don't know each other. There's no love between the people. There's no sharing of anything, except that you happen to be doing the same thing at the same time. There's no true sharing, participation, and partnership in that. Now, that's an extreme example. But there are Reformed and Presbyterian equivalents to that. There's a, and it's a temptation in a church like ours that we are rooted in a certain stream of historical Christianity. And we have our traditions, we have our forms of worship, we have our doctrinal standards that go back centuries. And it seems, of course, that we have attracted people to our church over the years for those reasons. Uh, when, I, when I meet other evangelical pastors in the South Birmingham area, and I meet with uh, several of them, uh, not in our denomination, uh, they're often amazed that we have so many people living half an hour or more from the church. Uh, because we, we attract people who are interested in that certain historical stream of Christianity. But perhaps you can see a problem that can arise in that stream. Sure, you get the the form of worship that you like and the shape that you like, but you may end up being detached from the church that is there and not sharing, not participating, not partnering with the church, not engaged in the fellowship of the church. You see? And I want you to see that it's, that it's not possible to be so detached. It's wrong to be so detached from the church. See, true fellowship is fueled by love. Uh, yes, for Christ in the first instance. But if that, is true lo- if that is true love, then you will love the people of the church. If you love Christ, you will love the people of the church. You cannot help getting involved in their lives. And so there's, you know, there's a real joy in gathering together. I hope you're joyful as you thought about coming to worship this morning. There's the removal of barriers. There should be. Barriers of race, of social position, of different backgrounds and so on, cultures. Uh, as Galatians, Paul says in Galatians 3.28, you are all one in Christ Jesus. And I know that when I say, now when, I, when I say something like this, the true things about fellowship, all the kinds of things, that, all kinds of things begin to flood into our heads, your heads, this morning. Uh, certain beliefs are beginning to, I, I guess with some of you, certain beliefs are beginning to demand your attention and want to ignore everything that's, that I've been saying about fellowship because you have this other belief uh, that's going on in your head. Let me just suggest maybe what a couple of those might be. Number one, I don't like these people. That could be a genuine belief. I don't like these people. And I understand that for some people that's an initial experience. But you need to understand that that's part of the baggage that you're carrying from the old life into this new life. And the only answer to it is to reflect on the fact that you, left to yourself, are yourself not very likable. 
Sorry. You're a sinner. And God has been gracious to you, a sinner. And that's a knowledge of that ought to completely change your perspective on yourself and on all these other people that you've decided not to like. So, that's one competing belief that you need to quash. Here's another one. These people don't help me. I've heard this. You may feel that these people in this church are not nice to you or have failed you in some way. And, you know, it does happen. We are sinners. We fail. But you might feel that you're justified, therefore, in keeping your distance. Well, we need to learn that we don't stop being sinners when we become Christians. Sin is still present in the church and its members. But Jesus teaches us to love one another, to serve one another. Matthew 7.12, the golden rule. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. If you wish people would serve you better, then the answer to your dilemma about this church, or any church you're in, is you need to serve better. That's Jesus' answer to you. Get on with it. Get stuck in. Get participating. Get sharing. Get partnering with brothers and sisters. And Jesus says that, not to a perfect people, but to sinners. That the answer to the building site of the church, which it is, is to roll up your sleeves and keep loving and serving, looking to Jesus Christ. And being devoted to fellowship. One more final uh, competing belief. You say to yourself, it's too difficult. It's too difficult. It may be that you have a difficult family life. Or maybe something like distance is is a problem. I know there are difficulties. And there, there are real difficulties with some of you. But it is possible for these things to become excuses for inactivity and non-involvement. So brothers and sisters, prioritize worship together, gathering together. Don't arrive late and leave as early as you can. Take time to get to know people. If you have children, involve your children. Let them get used to having all sorts of people in your house. Practice hospitality. And I I assure you that it will stand your children in good stead in the future because they have seen the life of the church. Not just in assembling in a formal meeting like this, but in the organic life of the church. And if you do live far away, I'm going to say something controversial here. I sometimes wonder if People who do live far away are doing the right thing coming to this church. It's always a dilemma when somebody comes and asks for membership, but they live a long way away. For all sorts of reasons I won't go into. But I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to point the finger, and I'm not trying to put anyone off. But I am asking you to think and pray carefully about whether this is the right church for you. 
Because it does seem to me sometimes that people might be more useful to the kingdom of God in a church more local to them that may not have all the boxes ticked for them, but it's a Christian church. And they could be part of the fellowship and share and participate in it. And could be of more use in the long run. You see, we should all be devoted to fellowship. We should all be devoted to fellowship if we're Christian, like these early believers. And so the question for you and me is, what does it mean for you and me to live like this? Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, your word. Thank you for the challenge of it. Uh, This is a difficult uh, topic for some of us, perhaps. And we pray that in your grace you would lead us and teach us and help us to be more useful, uh, to be more compassionate and loving towards one another and to figure out ways that we can be more engaged with what you're doing amongst us. In Jesus' name, amen.